Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Welcome to another fabulous episode of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I am Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I am Sam with Fowler Consulting. And in today's fabulous episode, we are joined by a Domino's expatriate. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> wow. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of pressure to make sure this is fabulous. You've said it twice, you know. It's kind of Drew's word. <laughs> I'm stuck on F's today. Tomorrow will be great and grand, grandeur. Yeah, it'll yeah. be H on Sunday. It'll be fine. Yeah, and <laughs> thankfully Lucas put a lot of the F words on the cutting room floor. So <laughs> uh, only a couple. We've of started. Them. We we've started to beep them out. You know. Yeah, but, I noticed that. Yeah, there are certain times where it's funny to leave it in, and there are certain times where it's funnier to put the put a big obnoxious bleep during them. So we we kind of it's a judgment call, you know, it's case by case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so when you say we, um, you're doing a podcast as well. Yeah, in fact, I think we we kind of started the foray into podcasting at at a similar time. I think, or maybe you did a, a little bit after us, but. Yeah, two twins in an album. It's uh, you know, as we always say, it's the uh the, the podcast sweeping the nation, you know, which basically means sweeping our, you know, our 20 favorite listeners. Yeah, know? there you go. And and not sweeping as much lately, you lazy bum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. I did see one drop this morning or last night or something. Yeah, we finally did our uh what is it, you know, February 24th. We finally did our uh album of the year and 2022 review i'll tell you we talk about this on the pod on the pod is that what the cool kids say the pod that's how you do it that's how you say it you know wow okay cool that's your next step is you'll start using quippy phrases like the pod you know he and i talk about this at the beginning of the the said episode 82 where we both have kids in youth hockey and we decided that having kids in hockey is bad for a podcast because practices. And... Oh, it's a part-time job. Well, just so we're clear, having kids in youth hockey is bad for everything, especially your wallet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, and Nubs points this out, like hockey is not, it's like soccer. You put some shin guards on and you run them out there, you know, and you cut up some oranges and everybody's happy. Like you have to get there like an hour early. Like there's all the equipment. I mean, it's, it's so fun and I'm assistant coaching, which is also hilarious, Wow! but it's not good for things like maintaining a regular podcast, you know? So we decided the season's winding down that it's time to get back after it. Wow. That's nice. Cool. Excellent. So you spend a little time with the brand. Wait, who is this? Because I didn't mention the person's name and we're like five minutes in. So Sam, why don't you do that? His name's Tove. I, I don't know if he uses his real name on the pods. Sure, you could use it on the pod. Now, see, you're already there. We go. Well, you we're, we're there. Yeah, you know, I I, uh, I I listen to what the cool kids say. You're a quick study. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Next thing you know, he'll have some snack talk account and he'll be on Facebook. <laughs> It'll be terrible. Yeah, that's that's right. I try to stay with some of those things. I, there, I don't even use Facebook anymore other than basically promoting the pod. Yeah. But some of these things now, I don't even know what it's like. Are you on this? Are you on that? I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I give up. We're here with uh, Chris Brandon. And uh, Chris spent some time with the brand, 14 years. And Chris, tell us what you did while you were with the brand. I think I think NASCAR was your first gig. And didn't you come to us from NASCAR? That's how we met. That's how yeah. we that's how we got really, you know, acquainted was was making pizzas and building displays and, you know, doing all that at NASCAR events cuz yeah, I was at NASCAR in New York City before joining Domino's, which I never thought would happen. I mean, clearly I have a bit of a connection there and No, really? Yeah. <laughs> and the, <laughs> and the the guy the guy in charge who I never thought I would, you know, work for or be in the same company as it was one of those things that 
I was in sports marketing. I was at NASCAR. I was in New York City for four years, sort of starting my career with them. And then suddenly Domino's needs some NASCAR slash sports marketing help. And I was like, oh man, are we am I really gonna do this? You know, but but yeah, that was um that was how you and I, because you were the um, you know, pizza master, you know, out on the out at those events. How many did we do? We did at least a handful of races i know we did four at michigan we did one at phoenix we did one in daytona we did one in texas and you and you were awesome i mean you you were running the show in terms of i mean at one point we were we were i thought we i think we were doing a pizza that either had just debuted or hadn't even debuted yet yeah we, we were doing at the tracks other than michigan we were just doing sampling but at michigan we were doing sampling and vending that was a handful, but I'll tell you what, those weekends were off the hook. I think you were there at Michigan the day we threw a sheet over the RV we were staying in and uh, watched Caddyshack. Yeah, well, that was our, we initially bonded certainly at NASCAR events, but over Caddyshack and music, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I remember you, you, you were, I mean, it was busy, like for hours. I mean, you were, you know, always oh, nuts. That thing. And and uh, we had the guy up there, the MC guy, you know. Yeah, the, yeah. Don't the, meet me there. Don't beat meet me there. there. Beat me there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Michael Blair. That's right. And like, you know, you guys were kind of, you know, running the show. I was just making sure you behaved yourselves more than anything, you know. Hey, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. You making sure we behaved ourselves. That's. um. Yeah, right. That's kind of the, like the wolf watching the sheep or something, isn't that's it? Well, that's well said. Yeah, that's well said. <laughs> You know, but I and I remember there was always music jamming. I remember we started to talk about music a little bit, and I was like, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. Then we started dropping Caddyshack, and I was like, oh, this guy really knows what he's talking about. So that was, you know, after that we were pals. You know, I would say that you know when you think back on your life's events and things you do just a little bit differently, I would like to go back to that time and be just a little less guarded because your freaking dad worked right across the hall right and and who knows what was going to go back to dad you know so <laughs> you had to be a little guarded but now that i know you much better i didn't need to be guarded at all man we had a couple we had a couple good times where you you know you let it down it was always a little tricky in that way i mean i always sort of wanted to for, you know right from the get go make sure everybody knew i'm i'm not a spy and and just like just like you, I'm just here to try and do a, a job and do the best job I can. And I knew that from conversations with you because of the button you wore that said I'm not a spy. I took that to be realistic. So it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The tattoo that I got. Yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But what you did, what you didn't see on that button, Drew, was the small hidden camera. That's right. That's the second part of that joke. I have something on all you guys, you know. That was always kind of a balance, but but yeah, so coming in with that sports marketing and NASCAR, you know, background wasn't like I just came out of nowhere or just got the gig because of my, my name or whatever it was, you know, I, I came in with some experience, but it, it, then it became a kind of interesting road where I, the sports thing kind of went away, fizzled away quickly after being there, you know, just strategy changed and leadership changed and all those type of things. And within marketing, that was a pretty, pretty high ticket marketing that nascar yeah it was it was and getting all the franchisees behind it was tough and you know and, and all that kind of stuff but i mean it's like those that it's just like nascar is now like those that love it think it's amazing and great and those that don't get it are just like what is this all about right so yeah and they're really struggling right now i mean if you think back to when we were at michigan there were grandstands all around the track they've torn half those down well the guy when i was there it was the it was, it was the hottest time for the business and yeah it was crazy we just signed we signed nextel when i was there to replace winston as the title sponsor and brought in all these blue chip you know official sponsors because that was what we did in new york we kind of managed the official sponsor accounts and you know introduced the chase format for the championship and just new tv deals i mean it was just an amazing time to be there and now you look and and the guy who was running the office, my the first guy that I worked for, you know, went on to be the CEO of the of the Barclays Center and the New Jersey Nets or the Brooklyn Nets. I guess they are now. I just sounded super old. They are the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. And then uh, and now he's the commissioner of the Big 12 Conference. So, I mean, this dude like was amazing, knew what he was doing. And 
was able to really take that sport to a mainstream level to compete for sponsorship with the NFL and with the other big leagues. And boy, it's changed. Now they don't even have a title sponsor for the league. It's like empty. It's just called the like cup series. And to me, that's like sacrilegious. Like, oh my God, the, the amount of revenue and exposure and all those things we used to build, whether it was Nextel or Sprint or whoever came after that. Now it's blank, you know, so it's just kind of weird. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a mess. There's a chart out that has uh, viewership by the year for each of the sports. Yeah. And figure skating right now actually has more viewers than NASCAR. Is that right? Wow. Did you see the one they did in L.A. just a couple of weeks ago? And they had a halftime show during the race and it was a rapper. I, I mean, have they lost <laughs> their way? I mean, I got nothing against rap music, but NASCAR fans, for the most part, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not exactly a synergy. We always had this dilemma, even when I was there, of the casual fan versus the hardcore fan. So you're always going to piss somebody off, right? Whether you're you know, in your effort to try and appeal to one segment or fan base or, you know, trying to bring people in who've never watched racing before and could care less, trying to turn them into, I mean, it's hard, you know, so yeah, I don't, I don't envy their position. There's so much to compete. I mean, you, we know just as doing our dumb little podcasts, like there's so much competition. There's so many things to watch and listen to and spend your time on. And so, yeah, even for a big, powerful sports league that's been around for as long as they have, it's, it's still a challenge, you know, but yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, that's where we, that's where we got acquainted. And then of course I did the rally for several years. Um, and, and again, you had to try to keep me under control. <laughs> yeah, not not always easy. No, not definitely not. But no, I, loved working with you guys on um, on fastest pizza maker and something. We boy, that thing got you know turned. But not always. Well, you know, I mean, there was that one time, but you know, there was that one time <laughs> you came and said, "Sam, we need to finish this up because they're going to shut the lights <laughs> off." <laughs> yeah, I think by the time it got to like three hours i remember like, that one sam what when are we wrapping here is this uh you know i just did a workshop on leadership this week and i would say that the way you handled that situation chris was was amazing <laughs> because you didn't come over and you're like you know what what the heck dude you were just like you know we should probably finish this <laughs> up and then um tomorrow just so we're clear uh you've got 15 <laughs> minutes not not one second over. And I think we got through it in uh, 12 minutes. Yeah. You, yeah. You nailed it on day two. No doubt. No doubt. I don't think people understand what goes into putting those shows. If the only thing you've ever done in your life is run a pizza store. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly, I had never done event planning or management or any of those things prior to. So yeah, you realize quickly that these things are, a huge undertaking and, and, you know, but part of, I mean, part of the reason I wasn't like super pissed at you is because like you're not only was your heart in the right place, but you took that thing to another level. So, and that's what we were trying to do with all the rally stuff was make it more memorable and more uh, of an experience rather than just a, a thing. And in the past, you know, they sort of took that thing and put, stuck it in the corner of the expo and, you know, it was kind of a sideshow. We wanted to make it the main show, you know, so, you know, having it be more theatrical, you know, which, which you're always pretty good at <laughs> and uh, for better, or for worse. And then, um, you know, putting it on the main stage for the finals. I mean, those were things that just, we hadn't done before. So it was, it was all cool. And there was always a balance of making sure that you, you know, kept the old uh, audience and management team and all those things in mind when you're, when you're putting together a program like that. Um, yeah, that was tough. I remember looking in the front row and seeing some of the board of directors. And of course we're on West coast time. They're from the East coast and they were probably not excited to be there in the first place. And you're like, <laughs> dude, do you see that guy? He's falling asleep. We need to wrap this up. <laughs> Yeah, when you you guys were, I think, on your like fifth uh like like comedy routine or whatever in between yeah. uh con, you know competitors, and it was just like Oh yeah. Well, right after you talked to me, Reisner came over to me and he said, uh, Sam, I'm almost out of tape. 
Well, you nailed it on day two. That's that's what I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now I did fastest pizza maker, and we did the the dueling make lines, and on the main stage. And for me, I was amazed because same thing, right? Got 10, 15 minutes. I don't think we even. Had, I think we had ten minutes because we had like one competition, and the producer for the main room had me there for six hours to make sure everything was lined up for ten minutes, which was just just nuts. Well, you could probably blame me for that, Drew. <laughs> oh no, no, this was this was post Sam, so you weren't even involved in that. Drew behaved himself much better than you did, Sam, <laughs> as usual, as usual. Yeah, they they probably put tight ropes on you because they put none on me, and they realized how badly that could go so quickly. So, Chris, how many rallies did you do? So, first one was 2009, and then we did the 50th uh birthday rally in 2010 so it's funny we are we are literally on our way back from the 2009 and of course i'm just drained like this consumes you for a year and i i think i i got a seat on the plane on the way home which was a mistake because by the time the plane landed from vegas on the way home from the 09 it was decided that we were going to do a 50th one the next year it was like wait a minute i i signed up for an every two years thing here like so like literally the day we got back, we started planning the next one because we, somebody, I think it was that, I think it was that pesky Patrick Doyle probably, you know, had an idea <laughs> of uh, doing one the next year to celebrate the 50th. So away we went, but uh, so there was that, that was the second one. Then 2012 at the Mirage and then 2014 at the back at the Venetian. So four of them, boy, was it, I mean, it was fun. It was a lot of work, but a good time. So for our listeners that go to the rally and they're there for two or three days and they think it's it's amazing, what do they need to know that they're not seeing? <laughs> I think what we tried to do was make it so it wasn't cookie cutter and it wasn't um, jargony and that, it, that was, it was special and unique and memorable, right? Whether it was the training. I mean, the, the thing we did at the Mirage that one year where we just literally took, you know, 6,000 people or whatever it was through a full day of training. I mean, you guys both, I know, had a big hand in that. Like, that was crazy. I mean, you look back and it's like, what were we thinking? But I think those are the type of things that made it, that did maybe take it up a notch from what had been done previously, which was let's really give everybody not just a great speaker and a great band, but stuff that they can take back home and the amount of thought and detail, I think, is what people when you attend. I mean, you never attend an event the same after you do that job. You know, it's like you, you you're you're looking at every little thing, whether it's like something stupid like signage or whatever, and you're just analyzing it. Right. And 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 Monday morning quarterbacking everything. And, you know, but I think the amount of detail that goes into making sure, at least for us, I mean, it was all about the franchisees. I mean, I did PR for a while down and it was always about the franchisees, you know, and that's, that's kind of what's cool about you guys having me on is it seemed like every job I had, even the NASCAR stuff, you're always thinking about, you know, how it's going to affect franchisees. And there's no better way to have an impact on that than the rally. So the amount of detail and thought that went into making sure that no decision was made without factoring in them as the audience and them as the um, people that you really want to take something home that's meaningful and that's memorable. You know, it's, I mean, you start a year in advance, you know, so it's, you know, it's something that takes a lot of time, but boy, is it rewarding. Like when you see, I remember we, we did the assigned seating thing for the first time where we get gathered everybody in advance and sat them in, in their their buckets all over the 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 ballroom and you're talking about thousands of people and i remember like we had this whole plan to do it and miraculously it worked and it was like two minutes before the lights went down and i just stood there and looked at all the different colors and all the different country flags and it was just like oh my god this is really cool you know so um but that you know we we planned that seating process for like three months you know, and rehearsed it and repped it and made sure that there weren't any, you know, landmines and all these things. So it's just things like that. Sometimes you think that they're simple and they're not, you know, and I think 
that's what's uh, anybody who hasn't really done a, a, a large scale event like that. It's easy to forget. Well, I think anybody that doesn't have hasn't done an event, period. I mean, you know, Drew and I's lives are doing events. You know, it's not it's not six thousand people. It's 30. It could be six thousand. Just go do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think people understand what goes into to putting on an event. You know, I had 60 people this week in Virginia for two days, and it's a lot of work. Well, sometimes doing 30 is harder than doing 6,000 in certain ways. Like, so it's almost like there are some people who are more comfortable speaking to 500 people than they are sitting at a table with two, uh, you know, like there are, there are elements where, you know, it's actually harder with small groups because you have more focus, you have more attention, you can see them, you can make eye contact and know if they're picking up what you're throwing down, you know, it's a, it's a little bit more like being on a date than it is just, you know, doing something to the masses. So yeah, it's, it's, there are challenges to doing, you know, those type of events that in some ways even make it harder. So think back on your 14 years at Domino's, what's the most memorable for you? Being a part of the, the pizza turnaround thing was just cool. And that was my, so after, well, actually while I was doing the rally, um, Lynn Liddell, who I worked for many years, wonderful salt of the earth um came to me and said guess what you're gonna now do public relations it was like okay great you know and but you're still doing the rally so good luck to you <laughs> and i was like thanks lynn appreciate you my first pr project was um the pizza turnaround thing you know and just the campaign that got put together there was this strange guy in a white coat that was in a lot of the commercials if i recall correctly yeah, I think the director told me he had a face for radio. <laughs> you pulled it off. You pulled it off. But, you know, being a part, I mean, that's the type of thing as my career's progress. I mean, when I was interviewing for Jack in the Box, where I am now, one of the things I wanted to make sure they knew is that I was there during that time. It was a monumental time within the entire, I mean, now I study the restaurant industry for a living and people still talk about that as a very pivotal moment, not just within the pizza category, but within QSR restaurants as a whole. And, and I think it it has sort of this legacy of how to do something. And this is way before a lot of the stuff that you see now kind of blew up in terms of authenticity and transparency and social media and how to treat all those things. This was like early innings in terms of how to go out there and be honest and forthright and square up to kind of your your faults which at that time was our pizza quality and to go out there in the way that you know and, and you credit russell a lot of people that helped put that together to go out there in the way that that we did at that time i mean i remember the night before like i think we were all super nervous oh yeah i mean how could you not be but let's get on tv and say our pizza sucks yeah, like the ultimate and high risk, high reward. Right. And and uh, but it worked. But yeah, that's I don't think you I mean, those of us, we were all, all three of us were there during that. I don't think you ever forget that, you know, and I don't think you ever, you know, as long as, you know, our careers go, that's something that you'll always point to of being a part of, you know, so. And then, of course, I mean, I think if I'm thinking about rallies, I don't know that that one at the Mirage that we did where we had the Beatles thematic and we had, um, was that art? Was that Ario Speedwagon? Yeah. I think that was the Ario Speedwagon one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. getting to, we had cool in the gang at the 50th and then we had Ario Speedwagon. Like that was awesome. Like just being a music guy and being, you know, having the opportunity to incorporate that and all the Beatles stuff too. Cause you know, just a huge Beatles fan, obviously. And, being able to figure out how to creatively tie that into what we were doing was so much fun. So it's kind of like all these different things that you love being able to factor that in, in some creative, clever way into, you know, your job was, was really fun. You know, those are always my favorite moments rather than being super corporate -y and all that is like, you know, those moments when you can take a lot of different things that you really enjoy and are passionate about and work them into your job, you know, which, but you guys do, right? I mean, that's the beauty of, of your guys, you guys is pod and, and, and you guys approach to things is like, this is what you are. This is what you do. And 
you figure out cool ways to, um, you know, kind of incorporate uh, your skills and your hobbies and your interests into your job, you know? I just think back to all the things that I've had the opportunity to do over the last 40 years because I could make a pizza. And it's just amazing. You know, I at one rally where we were introducing Rudiman uh, and yeah. I'm back there in the green room with him. And, you know, I, I was a huge NASCAR fan and here I am with our driver <laughs> and he's talking about the Talladega race in the last lap. And you know, he's talking about how, oh, me and so-and-so had this, this deal. And apparently somewhere between turn three and turn four, the deal changed and nobody <laughs> yeah. told me. They always do at those plate races. The deals always change uh, at the end, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that was pretty cool. So did you get to hang out with the Speedwagon at all? Did you get to meet those guys? So, okay. So it's kind of funny. I already, I didn't know them, but I had already met those guys in a really weird way. So when I was um, growing up, we had, it's actually Dave's sister. We, we had this like cool aunt, you know, who, um, she was like the aunt that probably like let, let us like do more than we should at a young age, you know, but was cool. And we needed that. Like, I believe today that's called the vodka aunt. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Okay. The Z, or the Zima aunt or whatever. Right. Yes. So, so um, she used to, every summer we would go to Pine Knob and go to REO and whoever REO happened to be playing with. So it was like, be like sticks or like foreigner or like, I mean, there's always this great package of these. Some would say washed up. I would say fantastic, you know, um, classic rock. And the great thing about growing up in Detroit is these acts, like like if ACDC came to Detroit tomorrow, they would sell out three nights. Like there's just because of the radio presence and because of the um, the, the sort of connection with, with classic rock as it's coined, like these bands will never, they can always come to Detroit and have a home. You know, and so every year, Ario Speed, Speedwagon would come here. And this is probably when I was like 13. We were at the concert, and my cool vodka aunt had her friend with her. And then it was me and Nubs and our cousin. So at the end of the show, the drummer, Brian the Hitman Hit, his name was Brian Hit, great drummer name. I think he's still our drummer you know, comes out and they're waving and they're, you know, they just finished roll with the changes or whatever to close the show. And he chucks his drumstick out into the crowd and it hits my aunt's friend in the head. Now a swirling, it doesn't sound bad, but a swirling wooden drumstick. And we were in like the 20th row nails you in the head. And you know, the one thing I've learned about heads having like young kids and being around now for 42 years is heads bleed like a lot. So her head starts gushing blood from this drumstick. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody. And, you know, of course, our first thought is, how do we use this to get backstage? Right? So we knew where to go and everything. We walked down there and, and oh, she got hit by the drumstick that Brian threw, blah, 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 blah. And, of course, you know, they probably start worrying. You know, we're talking to, like, the backstage bouncers or whatever. And of course, <clears throat> they start probably worrying that they're going to get sued or something. So they start being really nice to us. Well, they let us backstage and we actually like hung out with the band for like a few minutes and we were joking and, you know, and he signed a drumstick for her and it said, uh, next time I'll make sure to aim better or something, you know, some wrote some funny thing. So this happened, this was, yeah, this was like 1993 or 94 or something. So I kid you not, they come to the rally and, you know, we're doing our pre thing with them and with the production team and whatever. And, you know, we get through our business and then I like sit down with, you know, Kevin Cronin and a couple other the dudes. I'm like, all right, I got, I got a story. I got something that you might not. And I'll be damned unless they're the best actors in the universe. They remembered it. They, yeah, they totally remembered no it. And they're like, oh my God, that was you. We totally remember you guys coming back and us, you know, and, you know, they're a bunch of Midwest guys. They're from Peoria, I think. Right. So they're like a bunch of just nice down to earth, cool Midwest guys. And so right before they went on, you know, we we uh, kind of revisited this whole story. And I was actually going to play drums with them. Um, 
because during sound check, I I actually got up there a little bit, and then I decided, eh, like that might be lame, and I wish I would have. It wouldn't be lame, but it might have been. I, I it might have been too much. It depends on the point of view. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and and you know I usually make decisions based on my point of view. <laughs> well, what other point of view is there, really, Sam? I mean, come on. So you know what <laughs> I I missed Ario at that rally oh, really? because that was that was game one of the twenty four Stanley twenty fourteen Stanley Cup. Yes, and it was Rangers Kings. So I was uh, off with a couple Kings fans watching the uh, Stanley gotcha. Cup. Gotcha. Well, it, as a as a Rangers fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Some yeah. wings beat the Rangers last night, actually. Yeah, they did. It's the first game I haven't been to in like seven years. Oh, so really? that's that's why my guys lost. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is uh the day after Dave Holloway, this is for you. The day after they beat the Capitals. Uh, they're on a roll. Hockey. So yeah, I mean, and Ario was great. I you know what? People loved Cool and the Gang. Almost like I think most people would say Ario is great, but Cool in the Gang at the 50th, like everyone went nuts. I remember McIntyre saying, um, I had no idea how large the gang was. The gang's big. Yeah, the gang's big. It, it's uh, it's like Earth, Wind and Fire-esque. You know, it's like, you know, when you start looking at the staging and the production, it's like, oh, and by the way, don't forget, we have 45 people in our band, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah. going to need a bigger room. I think the gang used to be like five, but yeah, it's it, it grew over the years. But well, you know, it's it's their retirement. Yeah, I was gonna say no one retires; you just bring more people on. That's the way it works. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, so, what were you doing um, when you decided to exit the brand? So, I had been doing investor relations for about six years before leaving, and um, which is much more boring than you know putting on rallies, but huge for my career so basically i'm the, I, the i'm the conduit and i do the same thing now at jack is i'm the conduit between um the, the the company and wall street whether it's your buy side investors that are investing in the stock or your sell side analysts that are analyzing and assessing and rating the stock so you're it's half kind of relationshipy it's half you know making damn sure you know the numbers and you know the economics and you know the accounting and the finance and, and also the story right it's a lot of you know kind of here's why you should have a look at putting a large sum of money into our story you know so you're really talking a lot about management and about strategy and you're answering questions and you got to be on your toes i mean part of the fun is you know you get a lot of these wall street types who you know, think you're some kind of Midwest bumpkin and they can shove you around. And part of the fun is making sure they know right away that, that you don't roll that way, you know, but you can't do that unless you know your stuff. It's a lot of studying of our financial statements and all these type of things. So, I mean, I had to really go from doing sports to doing event planning, to, to doing PR, then to being in a role where you actually have to have a lot of those fundamentals and and I'm not really, I was like a C student guy, you know, so I'm not, um, I mean, I was always good at math, but I never like took the time to properly study a lot of things, let alone that. So had to kind of learn on the job and everything, but, um, but it's been huge and that's where my career's really gone in that direction. And, and then I joined Jack in the Box doing the same thing in the middle of 2021 and still there today. So the downside is you went from, from pizza to burgers. Yeah, but the upside is you went from Ann Arbor to San Diego. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, it's great. I mean, the flexibility, you know, and this was this was right during COVID that I joined. And this was even before it was the cool thing to do to work remotely. And but they told me, like, we'll be flexible. Come here a couple times a month and which isn't terrible especially in like January as we sit or February as we sit here in wonderful Michigan. We had our ice storm yesterday, right? So, you know, this would have been a good week to be there. But yeah, they've basically said, you know, I've got my kids are 10 and 8 and I didn't really want to turn them into left coasters and all that. So it's a different world out there as San Diego is an amazing city. I mean, I love it. If it wasn't so expensive, I might think twice about it. But, you know, having my kids be born and bred Midwesterners is important. And, you know, 
and so they offered a lot of flexibility there and I was able to stay put here, but also spend a lot of time in San Diego and it's a great culture, great headquarters, love the management team and really believe in what we're doing over there. And yeah, going from pizza to burgers and uh, 99 cent tacos, you know, it's, but in many ways for what I do, it's, it's, it's still very similar. We're friends on Facebook. And when you started at Jack, it seems like they've got a similar program to pizza prep school because I recall seeing you in a Jack uniform whipping out some tacos. <laughs> so tell us about that experience. They, Yeah, I actually did do tacos for most of the time because it's the easiest thing. You know, um, <laughs> the operation, I mean, the menu we have is enormous and it's, you know, 24 hours um, on, a, on a normal time period and, and operation, I mean, you guys, like your heads would spin. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's pretty complicated. So, you know, I, I dabbled in some of the other thing, other things, but uh, yeah, making deep fried tacos ended up being my, my strong suit as it turned out, you know, <laughs> that's your forte. Yeah. But I was really pleased when I got there to, to learn that, that this is part of the curriculum, you know, cause I always thought that was, um, who was real my pizza prep, uh, would have oh, depended no. on when you went through it. Was Sean. It. it was Sean Aiken. She was yeah, I think Sean was before me. Um, and I think, Drew, you had a, a time at it too, didn't you? I did, yeah. 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 I had a lot of buddies who a lot of buddies who had the Drew the Drew experience during that. Yeah. yeah. That's a good time. That was one of my favorite things that I did with the brand was running pizza prep school. I bet. I mean, and and you guys always did such a good job. I mean, you 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 really like I remember like getting being like midway through it. And like, I'm like leading cheers and like, and it's like, at one point I was like, what, what am I like? What has happened to me? Like, I'm, you know, like, a, but it was cool. It was like, you, you do at least, I mean, not even going to pretend to walk in an operator's shoes because I did a week of pizza prep, but you do get a, a little bit of a feel for what that is like. And I remember, you know, one of the nights you stay late. You know, it was a really good way to kind of not just teach you some of the, you know, basic operations, but also, you know, make sure you understand that it's a commitment, like something that is beyond your little nine to five gig, you know? And uh, so when, when I found out Jack did that, it was a, a two days and in, in, it was actually a restaurant, right? Like two minutes from the Tijuana border. So I was a little language wise, I was a little out of place, uh, which is probably also why they stuck me at the taco station, you know, but yeah, it was, it was cool. And I was very happy that that's, that's part of what they do as well. Cause I think that's super important. Yeah. And they didn't sell probably the only Spanish word, you knew it's like, where's the cerveza? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. My, my, my Espanol as it turns out is pretty limited. Yeah. My, I just gave you the entire range of mine. <laughs> What else is uh, what else is going on with Chris Brandon these days? Well, excited to have you. So we're so part of what we're doing here is a little a little cross potting. Cross potting? I think it's that's not, a term. I think it's cross casting. Cross casting, there you go. I that's mean, what I've yeah. heard on on other pods. Here I go trying to other pods. Cool again. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean you are in your forties now. Yeah. So you're well, at least well, there are two of us still in their forties on this. Well, let's be nice. Yeah. Let's be nice. We don't have to go there. I mean, you're not wrong, but you didn't have to say it. I mean, good Lord. And uh, true. If you could kindly shut the hell up, that would that's be great. Right. That's right. You can edit that out. You can edit that out. Oh, no, that's so staying it. <laughs> but no, I mean, excited to, uh, you know, I mean, th thanks for having me on. I mean, it's I, I'm a, I'm a fan of of what you guys do half the time. I'm not really sure everything you're talking about. Cause it's like beyond me. And okay. Neither are we. It's fine. Oh, <laughs> uh, the secret is out. <laughs> yeah, totally. But, uh, but no, excited to have you. I mean, we, we started this podcasting thing during COVID as you know, nubs and I play music together. And during that, we all of a sudden, just like every other you know, amateur performer or even professional performer, you lose your ability to, to go out and play. And so it's like, how do we, 
how do we keep our creative, you know, chops moving in some way? And we decided let's do this. And, you know, so 80, yeah, 82 episodes in a lot of different albums, a lot of different genres and, and some pretty big name guests. Yeah, we've done okay on the guest front. I mean, our biggest name guest is still to come, you know, later today, right? Um, <laughs> but no, it, it's it's been yeah, we we've had uh, we've had guests. We've covered a lot. I mean, I think part of what we're trying to do is it's a very non elite. Both I know both you guys are music guys, you know, so it's a very like non elitist approach to bands and album. I mean, we're not we're not too cool for. I mean, we've done toto we've done slipknot we've done nickelback we've done enya we've done barry manilow that's what i was just gonna say is that you know i think i've listened to every episode and i was really surprised at how open you guys are about how how wide your musical tastes are i i mean because you know i was a closet fan alo forever because it was almost <laughs> embarrassing, you know, if he said, oh, you like Barry Manilow. But yeah. and then you guys are putting a podcast out there and talking about <laughs> Barry Manilow and how and I'm like, OK, I guess I, I guess I can come out of this closet now. And, we're, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we're spending uh, two hours dissecting his his second album. Yeah. 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 yeah that was amazing. You know, I saw Barry Manilow at Chrysler Arena. He oh, came nice. out in this uh, silver lame shirt. <laughs> and it was right after a home game and he rips the shirt off and it must have been during the Anthony Carter era because he uh-huh. had on a, a number one and it said oh, Carter God. on it. Oh, so, I bet the crowd went nuts. Oh, dude, it was crazy. And it was in the round. So the stage is oh, so, wow. so nobody was stuck behind the stage for the whole show. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I went great. to a couple. I went to there. There were two notable concerts, I guess, that I attended at Chrysler Arena. I saw Bill Cosby when I was like, 14 or something do his stand-up at chrysler arena and it, i mean i've never laughed harder the guy you know i know it's gotten a little ugly with him but yeah i mean it's a tragic story but i don't think i don't think anybody could deny that when he oh wasn't doing God. things he shouldn't have been doing that that he was funny i mean i was 14 i was 14 and still dying it was like you know just such a pro um, and then the other was Elton John. This was remember when Elton John went through that sort of like lull in his career was probably like it was like in between his 80s stuff and then his Disney stuff. Yeah, was this sort of couple of years where it wasn't going so well. He came to Chrysler Arena with um, oh, who's that percussionist that plays the tambourine and really well and um, Cooper something Cooper the bald guy anyway it was just him on the piano and then this percussion player oh yeah 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 and the guy's still in his band he still plays with him i think yes he was actually he also like eric clapton unplugged he was the percussion guy ah yeah that dude's a showman yes yeah he doesn't just play the percussion he oh like they say he's the best tambourine player in the world and you like laugh at that but then you the way he like sizzles it and, 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 and yeah. like, Oh my God, like this guy is amazing. Yeah. yeah. And he's, he, uh, the way he delivers his performances. You yes. clearly have not seen me play triangle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but now we want to. A few moments later. Ray Cooper. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was just Elton John on the piano and Ray Cooper. It's very cool. Yeah. So wow, Cindy and I saw uh, Elton on his on his three year farewell tour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At uh, at Little Caesars, it was amazing, dude. He didn't have the range in his voice, of course, because because he's old, but he's still a showman. We we're in the second row, so it was. Oh wow! It was That's just awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. He can still tickle the ivories, though. Yeah. Yes, he can. I went, speaking of Barry, I just went this last September in Vegas. Yeah. And, oh, man, I'm so glad I went. Like, you know, I mean, the guy, he's like 80. That show sold out because after I heard you went, uh-huh. I looked it up and uh-huh. I'm like, I need to go. You yeah. can't get tickets. It's, it's, is that right? Yeah. And he's like 103. 
it's so good i mean he was he was just awesome and i mean i grew up on barry so it was just my wife couldn't believe Kim, she was like how do you know every word to this like this is great like she, she thought it was like half cute and half frightening it was like you know because i'm just there like just singing my ass off you know but and then maybe the best part we got out of barry this is at the westgate in vegas we walked out and in the lobby you know there's music always going on in vegas and we, we walked out and performing like just out in the sort of lobby almost area is the best neil diamond impersonator i've ever seen in my life no kidding not like a goof like a guy doing it for real wow and and so it was like god this night you know i didn't know if it could get much better then we got this like phenomenal neil diamond guy so yeah that's that's a good night of music right there that's awesome i saw barry at the riviera uh probably in 1977 Oh man, that's great. So that's great. I'm a 12 year old kid and my mom uh, liked the blackjack. So <laughs> she, she would take me to Vegas every now and then. As do you, if I remember correctly, a little bit, maybe a little bit. Uh, uh, I mean, there's a chance that's true. So <laughs> Barry was in town. I said, mom, I want to go. And the next thing I know, the hotel we're staying at, she says, the limo's out front, go to the concert. And I said, by myself and she said yeah i'm 12 <laughs> oh my god that's yeah so we get there and you know she'd give me some cash and back in the 70s if you gave the guy at the front door some cash so here i'm in the front row at the barry manilow concert i'm 12 years old i've got this polyester leisure shoot suit on i mean it was that's yeah amazing. these are the things that that, <laughs> that you remember forever so yeah yeah all right yeah well that's great but, all right drew you got anything i mean i just want to know when i'm going to be asked to go on the pod because yeah we could do some rush yeah definitely. i'd be a huge fan you know you do <laughs> you do my friend have good taste as well and uh in fact um one of the notes for today we're doing we're doing breakfast in america by super champ by super tramp as as handpicked by you know, Mr. Fowser himself and the guy who produced um, uh, Breakfast in America also produced Grace Under Pressure. Those were like the only two albums he ever did. And that's got like Red Sector A between the wheels, like yep. a couple of my Rush favorite Rush tunes, you know. So Kid how many, how many yeah. Rush shows do you have a high number of Rush shows? I don't. Um, life was OK. So growing up in New Jersey, going to concerts was nearly impossible because everything was either like at Madison square garden and stupid expensive or uh -huh. like a giant stadium. So I didn't start doing concerts uh -huh. till the nineties, but I, I saw rush, uh, nine times. Okay. That's pretty good. That's a high number. Yeah. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Rush nine times. Foo fighters five. Yeah. Rush shows are pretty amazing. I mean, yeah. You know. Well, and I got in just as they were still having opening acts and then the last, whatever, six tours, probably. We're all just them for three hours, which is even just crazier. Just watching uh, the best bands to see live are the ones where you can like literally fixate on one member for like multiple songs. Rush is one of those bands that you can watch Getty for three straight songs and then be like, all right, I'm going to watch Alex for a while now. And then, of course, Pert's Pert. Like it's just it's, uh, th those are the best experiences. You know, those guys are they were they were something well it's easy to hone in on one member when there's only three that does help yeah, yeah for, for cool in the gang that would be tough yeah right that, it would take that, you a couple that, concerts to tone in on each one yeah right? yeah, yeah you'd need six but, hours to notice everybody but on the flip side you can hone in on a rush guy for three songs because they're doing 16 different things while they're yeah i mean it's just stupid yeah the way they were oh completely well yeah. It, yeah and and they're all so good I mean, Alex is one of my favorites. He's a top fiver for me, guitar wise. But you know, Getty like playing the bass, playing the like keyboards with his feet, and then singing at the same time. It's like, yeah, that's pretty good. That's. I mean, I think we have to agree though that the pinnacle of Getty's career was Great White North with uh, the McKenzie Brothers on Saturday Night Live. Oh my gosh! There you go. What's oh? What's that? You've never heard the Great White North? Oh, no. Are you serious? I'm going oh, to write this down. You gotta, it's uh, Take Off is yeah. a song. 
mm-hmm. and uh, it's Bob and Doug McKenzie. Oh, the SCTV guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yep. that. Yeah, and Getty Lee is the lead singer in that song. And there's. Oh, you know uh, I think I have. I think I have uh, seen that. You're probably a little too young for it. This this before your time. Yeah, he's good. Okay, so good day. I do love SCTV, though. But I'd be willing to bet that your vodka aunt knows it well. (laughs) Most likely. Yeah, there you go. Boy, what a that was a hell of a that was like Rick Moranis and uh, Eugene Levy and oh my god, like what a John Candy, right? Wasn't he in there? Yeah. What a collection. Candy was second city, but yeah, 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 yeah. Same same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bunch of Canada guys though. Could you imagine any of those shows in today's world? Yeah, it's too. They wouldn't be on the no, air. It's too good. No, they would. They'd just be on YouTube quietly doing yeah, whatever they do. That's true. <laughs> we talk. We talk a lot about stuff. We on the pod. On the pod, we talk a lot about things that were kind of ahead of their time. Like we're we're about to do a band called Talk Talk from the '80s. That you know, just, you guys have talked talked about Talk Talk a lot. We have a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the guy, the guy just died a couple years ago. Pretty young, actually, was a bummer, even though he hadn't been doing music. He was one of the, he's one of those tortured artists. He was like off in hiding somewhere like, you know, but just the whole theme of that episode is going to be just being way ahead, uh, you know, doing things that just were people the the, the consumer just w- almost wasn't ready for it. And like SCTV was almost like that in America. It was like, you know, people just that zany kind of humor. I think I almost think it would work better now, you know, um, but some of those things, they're just so good and they're so progressed that people aren't ready for it. You know, Chris, thanks for being with us, man. Guys, appreciate the pod plug. Appreciate you having me on. Big fans of your podcast. Big fan of your podcast as well. And uh Cool. Drew, let's wrap this, uh, let's land this plane, dock this boat, whatever we're going to say today. I mean, those are all good things. We'll, we'll, we'll do that instead of docking the plane or landing the boat. We can, we can do that. Uh, this has been another episode of Drew and Sam Talk Training. Like us, share us, follow us, subscribe. And now that you know there's another pod out there, check out Two Twins and an Album too. While you're at it, I'm Drew with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I am Sam with Bowser Consulting. Hey, gang, as always, go out there, sell more pizza. And have more fun. Bye bye. Who's there?